0: Those are some of the questions that I hope to answer this morning, um, and then these, if you look at the little heading um, that you get from, like, verse 2 down in your Bible, it probably says the Beatitudes. Um, that's just Latin for blessing, is what that actually stands for, but if you're like me, you'd like to kind of turn these blessings into commandments, and it's like, this should be my attitude, right? It's the Beatitudes, um, but, but that's kind of, you know, it's kind of how I like to kind of think about them, but that's just not the case. Um, this isn't like a checklist of things that we have to do in order to be blessed by God. Um, you're already blessed by God when you have faith in Jesus. So, <clears throat> but let's get some scriptural context here. I want to ask, who's his disciples? Because at this point um, in the story, the, 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 the 12 that we like to think of, they're not around until chapter 10. So who's his disciples? So let's back up into chapter 4 a little bit, and we're going to look at that. And then I kind of have like a two-fold question here for us. What did Jesus, like his core message, what was his core message throughout all of his like preaching and everything that he did? Um, And Matthew summarizes that for us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, if you want to look there. And it's just a simple verse. And it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's kind of the core message of Jesus, his reason he did his miracles or his moral teaching, his parables, it's to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. He said, hey, turn around. The kingdom of heaven has came near. Here we are. You know, he wants to teach us about that. Um, and then I just kind of want us to get in our head who the disciples are. And we're going to get that from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. So if you want to follow along with me while I read that, it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, And he healed them, and great crowds followed him. So those are his disciples in context. It's the great crowds that are following him. A disciple of Jesus, in a basic definition, is someone that follows Jesus. majority of of us in this room, we're a disciple of Jesus. We follow Jesus. So we have some fishermen, and then a crowd of sick, hurting people following Jesus this morning. And then, so what then does Jesus do? He sits down on the mountain, and he tells them the best news they could ever hear. He actually acknowledges them for who they actually are. You know, they're the poor, hurting people. So this message would have been very shocking to these people, because in their, in their culture, they're used to hearing a rabbi proclaim blessing. I'm going to show you what I mean by that. Um, let's look at, you can think of times in the Bible that there was blessings proclaimed. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits um, in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then Psalm 119, verses 1 through 3. It says, Blessed are those whose whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong a walk in his ways. Um, And then I just wanted to actually pull from a different text that's not the Bible this morning, Um, because we know about it now. Eric's been teaching about, you know, some of the other texts, the Apocrypha. You know, the Catholic would consider this Bible, but we're not Catholic. We don't consider this Bible. I just wanted to pull from it and actually read it to you. That way you can understand their culture. This would have been written about 100 to 150 years before Jesus came on the scene. Um, And you can kind of see what their culture thought of what blessings should have been. What they, what they were used to hearing. And this comes from the wisdom of Ben Sirah. And I'm just going to read this to you. This was a Jewish teacher that taught this about 100 years before Jesus. I like to think of this like ancient prosperity gospel. It's been around a long time. <laughs> you know, there's a reason this didn't make it in our Bible. You know, so, but this lesson, I'm going to read it to us. It says, I can think of nine whom I can call blessed. So he's, he's going to give nine blessings too, just like Jesus gives nine blessings right here. He um, says, in a tenth, my tongue proclaims. A man who can rejoice in his children. A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Blessed is the man who lives with a sensible wife. And the one who does not plow with ox and donkey together. Blessed is the one who does not sin with the, with the tongue. And to the one who has not served an inferior. Blessed is the one who finds a friend. And the one who speaks to attentive listeners. How great. Um, is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. Fear of the Lord surpasses everything. To whom can we compare the one who has it? So you're blessed if you win. You have favor with God if you beat your inferior and you have all that stuff. That's what they're used to hearing, you know, and so proclaiming blessings is a very Jewish rabbi thing to do, and to these people it would have been very common. Um, it's part of their culture. And I can imagine them thinking, when Jesus is sitting down here, he says, blessed are you. He's like, oh man, here we go again. You know, we're the poor, we're the sick. He's going to tell us how we can actually have favor with God. And maybe we can actually attain this. Maybe we can do this. But it's completely counterculture even in this time. And so with all that being said, I just kind of want to walk through these nine blessings, keeping that in mind, keeping in mind his original audience, who he's talking to, the fishermen, the poor, the sick, the day laborers, all that. And then I want us to look at each one of these blessings, and I'm going to try and give us some application today and how we can think about them today as well. And then I want you to keep in mind, as I'm going throughout this and all all nine of these, each one of them is a puzzle piece. And at the very end, we're going to put the puzzle together, and then we're going to see the picture that it creates. All right, Matthew chapter five, verse three. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And how is that even a blessing? So remember who Jesus is talking to. Going over this over and over again because Matthew makes it very clear to us um, in the verses before. It's the sick, the hurting, nobody cares what these people think. About the future of Judea and the Roman Empire, they don't care. Uh, They're the insignificant people. Roman society wouldn't help them. You know, Roman society back in this time was the most cutthroat society that ever existed. There's no welfare, no help. You know, if you were were one of these people, you were on the street, you know, like that was it. Um, The Jewish society wasn't coming to help these people. They weren't asking them to come read the Bible in synagogue or read the Torah in synagogue. They didn't care what these people thought. You know, they are the poor in spirit. You know, but here we have Jesus offering them the kingdom of heaven first. How awesome is that? How can you not love Jesus for that? You know? But you know, everyone in this room right now, myself included, we are poor in spirit no matter how much we actually think we know about the Bible, no matter how much you want to listen to my words or Eric's words, you know, at the end of the day, we can never forget that without Jesus, we are nothing but creatures of wrath, you know. And then the people that are most likely to have faith in Jesus are the ones that are at rock bottom, poor in every sense of the word. You know, it's hard to separate our earthly circumstances from our spiritual well-being. You know, God has brought many of us low in this room, just so we can see how amazing this blessing truly is and just how beautiful the kingdom of heaven really is. So in my mind, that's what it means to be poor in spirit. All right, Matthew chapter five, verses four through six, where I'm gonna do the, kind of three at a time here. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. All right, if you're like me, you have a lot of questions. <laughs> um, but mourn over what? Is mourning over the death of the family pet count? You know, like is it something along those lines? What does it even mean to be meek? You know, so I think we can best understand pretty much all of these blessings um, is getting is understanding verse six, because that that's kind of what drives all of them. I'm blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So th- so think about a time you are actually hungry and thirsty. Maybe getting hungry and thirsty right now because it's getting close to lunchtime. Um, but, you know, it's not a pleasant experience. We all know what it's like to be hangry, to have that visceral urge to be like, man, I have to have something to eat right now. Man, I have to have something to drink right now. And that's how we should be with righteousness. That's how we should actually crave righteousness in the world. Um, you know, and what is righteousness. Righteousness is about right relationships with one another and with God. So we should be just wanting, with everything that we have, a right relationship with God and a right relationship with the person sitting next to you, you know, to do right by others and to see justice done. Because it's a law term too, you know, we're, we're proclaimed righteous when we have faith in Jesus, you know. But if you're hungry for something, does it exist? Do you have it in front of you right now? If you're hungry, you don't have a cheeseburger in front of you, well then it's not there, you know? So, blessed are the people that look around in this world and they see those wrecked relationships in their own relationships, in their neighbor's relationships, and the relationships in the world. We can even see that right now with the conflict going on in the world um, with Ukraine and everything. Um, and there's just the lack of people doing right by one another and it bothers them to their core. So that's what's going to inform us on how we should actually then mourn. That's what we're mourning. Okay, okay. Um, we are blessed because we actually notice something that God notices big time, um, which is that the world um, is not doing well, but God's going to do something about it. Namely, the good news of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is bringing to us right now and the life and death of Jesus and his resurrection. He answers our problems. We just have to have faith in Jesus. So we mourn over the broken and the cursed state of this world and humanity uh, to the point that it grieves us. So, but we kind of have two options when it comes to mourning. Uh, especially in our day and age. We can actually engage with the people around us. We can mourn for them. Or um, we can find ourselves just being numb to the world. We have entertainment galore. You know, it's in our pockets even. Um, we, can, we can choose not to engage. We can just watch TV. We can drive it out with headphones. You know, because who wants to actually care for the person sitting next to them? You know, who actually cares about their state with their relationships and their relationships with God? You know, but we can find comfort in the fact here in our verses, that one day all these wrongs will be made right, and the righteousness we desire will become a reality. Okay, so then what does it mean to be meek? To be meek is to be unimportant. Many of us feel unimportant. Many of us are important. We live in a small town in Tennessee. You know, that's okay. That's true. Uh, by the world standards, we are. You know, but my generation especially tries to be important. You know, we post video after video after video trying to go viral, trying to get a following, trying to make passive income over that stuff, you know. So, but that's not the stuff that's gonna make a difference in the kingdom of heaven. You know, Moses was considered meek, but was he unimportant? Think about that. God used him in a big way, but he even had Aaron speak for him at times. I can't think of somebody being more meek than being like, hey, why don't you talk for me? I don't wanna get up there and say anything, you know. So, but, God still used him in a mighty way. So he wasn't, he was meek, but he, he was still used. So then what do we do? So here we are, craving righteousness. We are mourning over the state of this world, but we're too meek to do anything about it. Seems like anyway. That's where these next three blessings come in. Matthew chapter five, verses seven through nine. says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Merciful is our next blessing. We're to be merciful to one another. Mercy um, is an act of care and compassion to help someone who is hurting. Just kind of a basic definition there. Um, no one is actually looking to us for the solution to the world's problems, thankfully. Um, but, but blessed are those that actually take the time to show care and compassion to their neighbor, no matter how insignificant it might even be. You know, just the simple fact, just a simple act of texting someone and letting them know that you're just thinking about them and you're praying about them can make all the difference in their life at that moment. So we should just be showing small acts of mercy to one another. You know, pure in heart. Now, this one is the most difficult one to me, anyway, to wrap my head around. Um, it's kind of one of those very uh, metaphysical, philosophical ideas in my, in my brain. <laughs> I like to think, because I like to ask four questions to kids in the back row, I've asked them before, but it's basically, to get you thinking in this frame of mind, is like, what is your, where is your liver, and what does it do? It's right here, you know, and it filters the blood in your body. Where's your heart, and what does it do? It's right here, it pumps, you know, and then where's your mind, and what does it do? And a lot of people stop and think, well, my mind could be my brain, it helps me think, it's my consciousness, all that. Or a lot of my favorite answer to that question is, well, I've lost my mind. I don't know where it is, and I don't know what it does. You know, so, but you thinking that way. And then the final question really gets you thinking in this metaphysical realm is, where is your soul, and what does it do? You know, so that's kind of this pure of heart idea, um, because it's going to, it's not our technical heart, but it's our spiritual heart. You know, um, these are the people that don't care about what the world has to offer, they, value, they have the values and the virtues shaped by Jesus' teaching. God is enough for the pure of heart because the blessing there is you will actually one day get to see God. You shall see God. That's the blessing. It's the ones that, you know, they desire to just know intimately and personally their creator and their redeemer. That's the pure of heart. Um, and the peacemakers. This is a fun one too. Um, Sometimes when you're following Jesus with these little acts of mercy that you're supposed to be doing with each other, um, and you're just trying to do the right thing with, with a pure heart, just seeking God, um, you'll find yourself trying to help two people in conflict that you love dearly. Um, and what, what happens when you actually step in to try and reconcile that relationship? They both end up hating you because you don't take either one of their sides. You know. So it's one of the most difficult things to do, to reconcile two people that just hate each other you know, but we're called to do that. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to have those acts of mercy, uh, and you're blessed, but for doing it, you know, and like reconciliation is one of the highest values in the kingdom of God. You know, I think we know that very well here, the Fellowship of New Church, because we all came from basically a, a church that was torn apart, you know, but we're reconciled here. It was a difficult time, you know, we can kind of see how that was difficult, and then how many relationships have came to be ruined, but, but Reconciliation is the goal. We are to be peacemakers. You know, so, but yeah, blessed are the people that long for righteousness, righteousness in this world, that even if it could end badly, um, we still step in to be peacemakers. So, now this is where it gets to be the most difficult. Matthew chapter five, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you <clears throat> when others revile you and persecute, persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before me. So persecution. We live in a, the Bible Belt in the South. You know, uh, the the values of the kingdom of heaven have kind of shaped the people around here a little bit more. Um, But the the world's values and the values of the kingdom of heaven oppose one another. I think we're learning that. I think we know that. Uh, But we are blessed um, for being persecuted just because we stand up for righteousness. Um, We don't experience that much here now, but it is increasing with each generation. Um, You know, I've had conversations with Eric because, you know, raising daughters, it's difficult to teach them this, knowing what they will probably end up facing. Because with each generation, persecution gets more and more severe. Each generation, they care more and more about the world's values instead of the values of the kingdom of heaven. So it's always a difficult thing to teach your kids about. Um, You know, we just want to do the right thing. We want to have right relationships with one another. um, But the world is going to hate us for it. We can see that happening right now. The biggest issues in the church that we're battling against in the culture are all relational. All broken relationships of some kind. Think about it. Abortion its the result of a broken relationship and a broken idea of what sex is and what it's for. Um, If we could, you know, it wouldn't even be an issue if we all respected what God ordained as the marriage covenant. The same can go for the LGBTQ issues and the critical race theory issues, everything that's dividing us in the country right now. You know, all of these are broken relationships. They're buying into the broken value system of the world instead of the value system of the kingdom of heaven. You know, and it's an inevitable fact that at some point in our life we're going to be hated for our love for Jesus and for the love of the kingdom of heaven if we're engaging with the culture around us. Um, you know, the right value system that God has given us. So, but we can rejoice in the fact that our reward in heaven is going to be great. You know, Jesus is going to teach us in the rest of his sermon what a righteous people looks like. Okay, so Jimmy, you get to cover that next week. Have fun with that. Um, you know, We're not perfect, but we all should follow Jesus with everything that we have. So, now remember, I said we are going to put all these pieces together here at the end and see what this puzzle creates. So, yeah, I'm a lot faster than Eric when I stand up here. I can't talk for 45 minutes. I'm sorry, it's just not in me. But anyway, I hope you learned something this morning. Um, But, yeah, think about it with me. So, can you think of someone that came from poor, insignificant circumstances that the religious elite hated, who mourned and grieved over the state of this world and the people that he met. He was extremely important, but did not think of himself as as important. And he longed to see God's world set right. And with small acts of mercy to hurting individuals, he showed his pure devotion to the cause of the kingdom. He inserted himself into dangerous situations between people who hated each other. He even got persecuted and in fact was killed for it. So who's that puzzle? What's, What's those pieces put together? The life and death of Jesus is the perfect embodiment of these blessings. His death and his resurrection is the only way that we can have right relationship with God and with each other. So at the end of these blessings, we we are motivated to do something, you know, but it's not so that we can be blessed because we're blessed already. You know, God is with us. He is for us, and the kingdom of heaven is ours uh, for those that have faith in Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get to the Lord's Supper because that's over there. All right. Flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 11.